0: You're listening to sermon audio from Ankeny Free Church in Ankeny, Iowa. We are a church on a mission to love God, love others, and make disciples in Jesus' name. To learn more, head over to ankenyfree.church. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 21. We're going to start in verse uh, 23. And we're going to be talking about kingdom performance over empty promises, I think we all understand empty promises, where someone says one thing, but then they don't come through on it. In fact, it's it's so pervasive that we find it in various cultures. If you're from the South, words like fix to" and might could, they tend to just be polite ways of saying, I'm probably not going to do that. Or at least I'm not going to do it right away. Um, I have friends from India, and they say that there's at times in in India where someone, they want you to feel like you're being affirmed, like, right, yes, but they really are saying no, and it results in kind of an unusual head movement that's very distinctive. You want people to feel good, but yet they are not going to do what you're asking them to. Um, If you're in sales, Right, and and you're talking with someone, and and you give your presentation, and then they say, "I'll think about it." Right, we all know what that means. By and large, it's probably uh, it's a no. It's a no. We're we're out. I have been unjustly, I think, accused in my own household of misusing the word maybe. <laughs> Some. Maybe all of my daughters think that when I say maybe, I don't mean maybe, I mean no. <laughs> Such it is in life. And it's one thing for us to, to give empty promises to one another. That's not good. But but what about with the Lord? Jesus is going to address this issue kind of jumping off the issue of authority, which in the book of Matthew is a big issue because Jesus presents himself as one who has all authority over all the nations, commanding obedience from everyone. And when we see that from Jesus now here, as he's now in the temple precinct, as he's now in the last week of his life before the cross, he is addressing the authorities of that day and age, particularly the the local rulers, even Roman rulers, but specifically the religious rulers. And now they're going to ask him a rather direct question. And he's going to answer this question with three parables. And we're going to look at the first of these three parables today after we look at this interaction that he has. So turn with me, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be starting in verse 23, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 32. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question if you will tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and did the same. And he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Let us pray. Father, we ask that today you would guide us as your church. Lord, we are thankful that that you are worthy of all praise and that you see us and you know us. We're thankful that you have brought us here today. But Lord, we know we need to be more and more like your son. And we know that doesn't come through the strength of our arm, and as your word says here, by hollow promises, but it occurs by your Spirit, using your words to change our lives. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would speak through me, or in spite of me, in order that all glory might be yours and we might do your will here in this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage today has two parts, the interaction of Jesus and these religious leaders, and then this parable, but the parable we've divided up into two parts where we answer Two different sorts of questions. And so that's going to be our flow and how we go here this morning. But before we even dive in to our first point, which is, where is your authority? I I want you guys to look at something. It's found here in the first verse. And it says this, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him. You know, one of the things that people say is that, you know, the Bible is not real. It was made up by people long after these events supposedly happened. And right here, what we have is something very interesting. It's called uh, local knowledge. It's in the details of these things that the Bible is attacked. And, And here we have some specificity on the sorts of people that are now attacking Jesus, specificity that can only happen through local knowledge. And we know this is verified by other individuals that would have also have had this local knowledge. Now, local knowledge is kind of an interesting thing. So if you've been here in Ankeny and you're to look at the Wikipedia page on Ankeny, it'll tell you some interesting facts about Ankeny. But if you've ever been to Abelardo's, On Ankeny Boulevard, you know that that used to be a what? A Long John Silver's. Local knowledge. Local knowledge. You know that if your real estate agent says that this property is a South feeder, what that means? You're going to go to, you're going to be a hawk, right? Not a jaguar. Local knowledge. Local knowledge. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not just saying the religious leaders, he's saying something very specific. He's saying, first of all, the chief priests, which would have been the people working primarily in the temple precinct, and then the elders, another group of people, both of these groups would have been a part of the Sanhedrin, which would have been the ruling council at that time. And they would have determined a a lot of uh, the authority for the Jewish people apart from Rome and Rome's appointed leaders. And so this was a, a very important sort of distinction. You know, Matthew goes on and talks about all kinds of other people. He has the Sadducees, which would have been this type of Jewish aristocracy closely associated with the temple, but also kind of partnering with Rome. He would have talked about the, he talked about the Pharisees, and these would have been um, teachers that would have developed synagogues, which would have had an emphasis on the Bible as their authority and wanting to, to follow what the Bible says. We would have loved those people. Uh, they, they didn't like Rome generally, and they had a lot of critical things to say against the Sadducees. And so that's why when Jesus attacks them, they're probably especially penetrating words to our own hearts as well. But I just want you guys to know that we can trust the Word of God, that, that the Lord has given it to us in order that, that we might become more and more like Jesus. Look, I, you guys haven't, you've been here long enough to realize I'm not the funniest guy I don't tell the most compelling stories. I don't shout the loudest. I don't have the most poetic of poems or the pithiest of sayings. And if I could, I wouldn't. Because I don't want things to interfere with you hearing God's Word. In fact, our messages on Sunday morning are twice as long As they would be if you just got the answer because like a good math teacher right we want to we want people to show how they got their answer not just the answer themselves as I was taught by others how to read the Word of God and apply it to my life I want that for you as well and I want you to pass that on as well and that's why in the first half of almost every message we walk slowly through the text before we begin applying it to our lives, because we believe God's word is what changes us. And we can trust it. And we can trust it in big ways. But even in a couple of words that would have been really throwaway words for most of us as we're dragging our eyes across, the Bible proves itself true. All right, that wasn't a part of the message. That's just a bonus. Let's start out. All right. What is your real authority? That's the issue Jesus is getting to. So these guys come up, and they ask Jesus a pretty direct question. Where do you get this authority? And Jesus, as a good rabbi would, answers a question with a question. He's like, look, I will tell you, but you got to first answer me a question. John the Baptist. What do you guys think of him? Was he speaking on behalf of the Lord, or is he just just making stuff up? Is this from man? And, And what they did was they revealed that these are not men that are pursuing God. They neither feared God for his divine power. They they didn't trust and and follow the Lord because of his unending love and his track record of faithfulness. No, instead they showed themselves to be people that had no integrity. They believed John just to be someone else, but, but they wouldn't say it. And they didn't have the spiritual insight to realize that what John was speaking was true. And the one he was pointing to, the one right in front of them, was the one upon whom they should have all their hope. Instead, what ruled their hearts, what was their true authority, it's found right here in the passage. We see it in verse 28. If we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. Now, because they were afraid of the crowd, they said, We don't know. They knew, but there was something greater that they feared, something greater that was an authority over the Lord, and that was how other people think of them. Unfortunately, that problem has not evaded us today. Many of us wrestle with that same sort of issue. We can say that we love the Lord. We fear Him, respect Him above all things. But oftentimes when it comes down to it, we just don't want to get sideways with people. We want them to like us. We want them to say nice things about us. And so therefore, sometimes we answer the question, we don't know as well. It's from this launching point that Jesus is going to give three parables. And we're going to look at the first one now. So he says here, he contrasts this idea of saying or doing. And the first question he asks is actually an easy one. It's not a trick one. It's Which is more important? And he starts here. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he went into the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Now, let me just explain the parable for you. The Father is God the Father. Asking to go into the vineyard is an invitation to not only believe in the Lord, but also to do His will. And then the sons are the people. And it looks like we have at least two options. The one son is the son that says, I will not. Living in rebellion does not want to do what the Lord wants. But then something happens. What does it say? He changed his mind. He changed his mind. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're wondering what I'm after today, what I feel like this passage is after today, is that I want you to change your mind If you're someone who says yes and is going to do no, or if you're someone who says no, I want you to change your mind and to begin and to continue on following the Lord. At any rate, so they change their mind. That's the first one. But there's this other one that they at least want to give the impression of following the Lord, at least believing on the Lord, but they don't go. They say one thing with their mouth and yet something else With their actions. Kingdom performance is over empty promises. I I think we are familiar with empty promises, right? If you're not, you know, one of the things that that I, I kind of enjoy is when a team gets a new football coach. Right? Do you guys do you guys like that? You know, a team is getting this new football coach, and it seems like whether it's at the high school or college or pro level, they say about the same things. Oh, it's been, you know, we're coming into a rough situation, but, you know, I think there's a lot of promise here, but we'll be spending a couple of years rebuilding. And we'll be rebuilding, and then, then we'll, make a, we'll make a run at the conference, division, whatever, right? And, and I think that we, in you know, a couple of years after that, we can start, we can win the title, and then, then we really have a shot for the playoffs, state title, you know you know, national title super bowl and, and so i'm thinking like in you know in four to six years we can we can be looking at, at winning the crown that's it that's what they say every time that's the path but we know that that doesn't always happen in fact it happens not very often if every coach is saying that i mean there's only one champion so obviously there's something to be wrong i mean wouldn't it be better, right, if the coach was like, Well, you know, I'm here and I, I don't know what to do. I, I predict a decade of mediocrity at best. You know, half the teams need to be below average. I, I feel like we're going to be there for a while. And then to see some measure of success, maybe they win it all. It's like, oh, I don't... I didn't believe in the guys. And I tell you what, they did not believe in me. I don't know. I'm just as surprised as anybody that any of this happened. I I mean, teams I love. I, I believe them. I believe them when they say it. But I want to, right? But truth be told, we know how it is. We know how it is. And we know sometimes those Promises, made by a football coach. I mean, I think we take them with a grain of salt, but we know how damaging it can be, and we know the difference. It's very clear, and no one's in question. Everybody's in agreement. The chief priests, the elders, the Lord Jesus, everyone there. Which is better, saying or doing? Doing. Doing is clearly better. It was the first son that actually did the father's will, even though he said no at the beginning. Now Jesus turns the question to the chief priests, to the elders, to his other listeners, and I think even to us, and that is saying or doing, which one are you? Which one are you? He says this in the second half of verse 31, truly I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now let's stop right there. Uh, Most people in that time would have seen um, tax collection, especially the way that it was done. This would have been something that would have been seen as a moral evil. These people are doing a moral evil. They are hurting their kinsmen. They are rebelling against the Lord God Almighty. They see it as that. And, and prostitution, again, would be seen in the same light. And so what Jesus is not saying here is that, you know, one way to become a part of the kingdom of God is to engage in, in activities like this, to pursue an immoral life, to become a tax collector, to become a prostitute. No, no instead, he's saying these people, there's something that's happened to them. Something has, has happened to these individuals. And it's very punchy, the way Jesus says it. It would be like us saying, you know, an an Iranian Muslim and a convicted criminal are going to the kingdom of God before good Midwesterners. Now, now why would we say that? We could only say that if if there was change. If there was change in their life. And what he's saying is the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they saw John the Baptist and they believed what he was saying. And what happened with you is that that you saw it, but you did not change your minds afterward and believe in him. What, What is absent is that change. And so therefore, these people did what God was asking of them. They trusted in him. And they continued on trusting in him. And the question before you find folks today is this. Is, are you individuals of, of empty words? Or are you going to believe and follow the Lord Jesus? Well, so what? Let's be real practical. So what is this passage asking of us today? And it's, it's going to ask us two questions Two questions. It's questions that's already been asked, and that's one is who is your real authority? Who is your real authority? In the text, what we see is the the chief priests and the elders, those that should have been leading people toward the Lord. The Lord was not their ultimate authority. The Lord was not their practical authority. Instead, their authority was the fear of other people. And and ladies and gentlemen, I think that many times too that we fall into this trap. And what we fail to see is that Jesus is better. That Jesus is not only what we really need, he's what we really want. What, What did they want? They wanted some sense of security, some sense of control, and that distorted into some evil thing. But, but I think many of us, we want a sense of security. We want a sense of control. We want to know that someone loves us. And so what we do is we think, well, if I can just make you happy with me, that that'll be the way to do that. If, if I just kind of appease you, then I get to maintain this semblance of control. If I say what you want to hear, then I feel safe and secure. And that doesn't work out. Proverbs Proverbs 29.25 tells us the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. So let me give you a strategy on how you can approach this. Because oftentimes in the moment when you're standing there, whether it's before the crowd or before an individual, we're faced with this fear of man. And what I want to say is instead of, you know, hey, you know, don't worry what anybody else thinks about you ever. (laughs) That that leads to other problems. Um, Instead, what I want to say is this, is you're not fearing the right crowd. That is, you're, you're not trying to appease the right group. And ultimately, that's Jesus, Right? That's what we want to envision, is that if the Lord was there standing beside us as we're having this conversation, right? what would we say? What would we do? What is it, the steps that we would take? And so we need to remember that the Lord is there. But there's even maybe some intermediate steps that you can even take to that. One is is that sometimes if you're talking to someone and there's something difficult that you need to say, You envision not that person right then, but maybe that person five, ten years down the road. Would they be glad that you told them the truth then? Or you just said what they wanted to hear, only to have this play out in a harmful way on down the road? Have you thought of Maybe other people that you might be representing, sometimes, you know, a difficult conversation, it's easier to have when those you respect and trust know that you're having it. Or maybe they're even there with you. It gives you confidence because it's not the only audience. You know, I'm trying to please that person, you're trying to think, well, here's a godly individual, you know, and I think it's helpful for us to remember that You have your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are cheering you on in those difficult times. When you need to decide where your real authority lies, and you're feeling the pressure of folding to the crowd. That when you're talking to your family, when you're talking to your neighbor, when you're there with your coworkers, when you're there in some random situation that you could never envision, and suddenly it's brought to the point, and you feel like, oh, I feel a lot of pressure to not do what the Lord says, to remember that you have brothers and sisters in Christ cheering you on. You, you represent the Lord. You re- we all represent the Lord, and we want to represent Him together. And sometimes it's helpful to think of those cheering you on so that you can put your heart in the right place and say, you know what? No, my king, my king is Jesus. Jesus. The second question I think this brings up, and that is this, is do your promises match your actions? Do your promises match your actions? Does does what come out of your mouth reflect what you're actually going to do? I think most of us are familiar that past performance is a great indication of future actions. Past performance is a great indication of future actions. You know, what a, if, if you do any sort of trading or whatever with stocks, you know, the trend is your friend. That's how Sometimes they say that. It doesn't help you all the time, but they say that there's, there's some cyclical things that happen, and you can kind of, you know, count on that. Past performance is an indicator of future actions. If you're a baseball fan and you're familiar with Moneyball, One of the tenets they said is that for certain stats, that after people reach a particular level, you would see some consistency. You know, how often they get on base. That that would be what they've done in the past. It's kind of what they're going to do in the future. The, The past is a great indication of the future. We do that here in church too. I mean, I think it's silly to think if you want to be an amazing biblical theologian, but you never open your Bible, you're not on a good track. If you want to be an incredible philanthropist, but you're not generous with your money now, you probably won't be when you have more. If you want to be a, a tremendous evangelist and, and reach people halfway around the globe, but your, your neighbors don't know that you're a believer, it, you know, there's, there's a huge gap there. We understand that. And the only way that we're going to make progress is with change. Now, I'm going to speak to us here in this room and on the screen, church folk. I think one of the things that we believe is if I just had this hard-hitting message, conference, whatever, this one big event, we swing for the fences, that that's going to be what happens and that's gonna evoke change. And we can sit in environments where we we listen to powerful stuff, but there's no change that occurs. It doesn't translate then to Monday because we thought, well, I've just endured something. That's gonna make all the difference. And it doesn't. And it doesn't. We need to take ongoing steps the Monday through Saturday, it's not all about Sunday. We need to be faithfully following the Lord in the everyday little moments in order that we might seem transformation. Now, before you think that I am preaching some different gospel, I'm not. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 tells us this, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so now you walk in Him. Right? So if we, if we trust the Lord by faith, we continue to walk in. By faith, following the goodness of God, relying on the power from the Holy Spirit, seeking to honor the Father up above. Again, not relying on our own strength, but the strength that he graciously gives us. It is this this ongoing motion. We know in John chapter 6, some people came up to Jesus and they say, what are the works of God that we may do them? And Jesus answers them in John 6.29. And he says, this is the work of God. Believe in the one that he has sent. So we know that that not only does the Christian life, first of all, start with Jesus and our dependence upon him, but it continues on in that same dependence. I think sometimes we just think, well, I'm just going to be kind of mystically shook into shape. No, we need to take those everyday steps of faithfulness. Just imagine the tax collectors and the prostitutes, what they went through. They hear some guy is talking about God, something really special is kind of going on, and there's a stirring in their heart. The Lord begins to move in them, and they they walk and they listen to what he's preaching. And and, and they're beginning to hope, beginning to trust. They're saying, I want, I want to take another step. And so then they, they're baptized by John, and then, they hang out with John and John says, hey, it's not about me, but it's, it's this other guy. I, I, I can't even untie his sandals. And I baptize you with water. He'll, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and they begin to follow Jesus. And they're around other Jesus followers and there's change and transformation in their lives. There, there's, there's steps of progress and they're becoming more and more like the Jesus they are following. And that's our framework. As well. And while we're journeying through Matthew, what I want you to do is I want you to take a step, take a step in following Jesus. We need to take a step, and we want to help you do that. Now, before we end, I don't want to leave you in a miserable state. One of the things that uh, I've been encouraging us is that if you want a book to read while we're doing this series, it's not about Matthew, but it's about following Christ. It's called The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson. And, and we don't want to, as we're following the Lord, we don't want to mis, you know, mix up the main thing. We want the main thing to remain the main thing. And I love how he concludes his book, a book on discipleship, a book about following Jesus, a book about not having empty promises, but exhibiting kingdom performance. And he says this at the very end, which is what I want to say to you as well, is that you are not your quiet time. He says, okay, day to day, you kind of are your Bible reading. The spiritual disciplines, the rhythms of the kingdom, they do shape us and help us to become more of what Jesus is making us through them. But in the end, you're not your quiet time. You're not your cruddy prayer life. You're not... You're standing before people. You are not your past. You are not the accumulation of harsh words from others and negative self-talk. You're not even your own sin, as primary and as serious as that problem is. I'm not trying to affirm your sense of goodness. I'm doing the opposite, in fact. You are not your ability to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You are not the sum of your spiritual accomplishments and your religious devotion. You are a great sinner, yes. But you have a great Savior. Child of God. You are a child of God. And he will never ever leave you or forsake you. As the worship team comes forward, I want to give you some time personally right now to be able to respond to this message. Maybe God is calling something From you, he wants you to take a step. Maybe it's to simply trust him. Maybe you've been here a long time, listening to the messages, just making hollow promises, thinking that maybe through them somehow God will love you, instead of seeing that he does love you, he wants your trust. Or maybe you're here as a follower of Jesus saying, I I do, I just make too many empty promises, and I, I need to start taking some steps in faith that demonstrate the goodness of God in my life. And I don't know what that is, but I want to give you a moment to solidify that with the Lord. So if you would, bow your heads. And let's just take a moment and just reflect on maybe what the Lord's doing in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we know you see us. You see us in a moment of need. You see us tossed to and fro by the fear of other people and and again by by the hope of empty words. Father, we want to see change change in our lives. We look to you again in faith that you might transform us. You'd use the Spirit. You'd guide us by your word that you would surround us with the, the help of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would grow to be more and more like you. Lord, we, we want to see your name exalted And we don't want to utter meaningless things to you. So work in us, we pray. Lord, I pray for those right now that are that are sick and are suffering, those that are financially at the limit, those that are in a rut of of darkness, weighed down by the chains that others, and maybe even themselves, put on them. Seek you, Lord, for those that are battling it out in relationships, those that are wondering what their work environment's going to be, those that are having great difficulties when it comes to family issues. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be the light in the midst of that darkness, that you would be the one, Lord, that that breaks those chains, that you would be the one that opens those prison doors. And we pray, Lord, as you're building here a community in order to reach the community that we are planted in, that, that you would continue that good work inside of us, that you would enlarge our hearts and increase our affections for uh, affections for one another, for the lost, and most importantly, for you. I ask humbly, Lord, that, that your word would be a salve to the wounds on our heart, or an arrow that that pierces it in its hardness. We ask that we would change us, Lord, that we might look more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. We pray you were blessed and encouraged by this week's message. You can join us in person or online every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. or 10 a.m. Have questions about what it means to know and follow Jesus? Simply email Todd at AnkenyFree.Church. Thanks for listening.